Welcome to the Heal, Nourish, Grow podcast. I'm Cheryl McColgan, founder of Heal, Nourish, Grow. The website, this show, and our newsletter all focus on making the science of advanced nutrition and greater overall health accessible to everyone. Buckle up for our latest episode to get ideas, tools, and practical knowledge you can use to improve your health and move towards your perfect version of ultimate wellness. The Heal, Nourish, Grow podcast shares interviews with nutrition experts, health researchers, and everyday people that have changed their lifestyle and nutrition to support greater health. You'll learn how to implement lasting change and create new habits that support greater wellness and a happier, healthier life. Please visit healnourishgrowpodcast.com for full show notes and links to our guests. Dr. Paul Goodman is a board-certified physician originally from the Washington, D.C. area. He completed his medical training at the University of Maryland Medical School, where he had the distinction of being selected to the Alpha Omega Alpha Honor Society and then trained as an eye surgeon at Georgetown University. Dr. Goodman is an experienced clinician, surgeon, and teacher. After his training, he continued his involvement at Georgetown as a professor for the next generation of surgeons and physicians. He also developed an interest in how we could use food to retreat or prevent chronic diseases. After successfully initiating a project focused on helping patients with certain eye diseases to eat foods that could help them see better, he joined renowned ready-to-eat delivery brand Fresh and Lean as their chief medical officer. He now focuses on whole body health and preventative care through using food as medicine, helping people to live healthier lives. Outside of his work, he enjoys staying active outdoors with his wife and two daughters or watching baseball. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Heal, Nourish, Grow podcast. Today, I am joined by Dr. Paul Goodman, and you just heard his bio, but what I'd really love to hear from you, Dr. Paul, is a little bit on how you got more interested in metabolic health, because that wasn't exactly your training when you went into medicine. So maybe you can kind of tell us a little bit about your journey there. Sure. Happy to. Um, yeah. Thanks for having me, Cheryl. Uh, so, yeah, so yeah, my, my background is I am an eye surgeon, an ophthalmologist, um, so med school, residency, et cetera. And besides maybe two hours uh, of class time on nutrition, you know, it really was not a focal point for me. However, you know, fate had, uh, had another plan for me. Basically when the pandemic shut my office down, which for a subspecialist was, was, uh, it was a big chunk of time where we were really not doing much. I was looking for something else to do and fortuitously was offered the chance to work with another ophthalmologist on a project in nutrition, specifically helping patients with a particular disease called macular degeneration um, mm. to eat the correct foods. It happens to be a, a disease with a lot of evidence behind food as a treatment or prevention or, or nutrition in general. But we, of course, never had time to help our patients do that in a 10-minute clinic visit. We were interested in solving that problem. And that was really the start. You know, That is not what I'm doing now, but it opened my eyes to the really the literature in support of, of what I would call food as medicine. Um, it's not an exact term, but just this idea of, of eating certain foods to treat or prevent disease and in a way that's beyond what we have always known, which is, you know, certain fruits and veggies, don't eat fried foods, et cetera. It's really quantified it and given us the, the ability to say exactly how powerful it is, which is very powerful. Um, and yeah, I, I expanded beyond just eyes, took an interest in metabolic health as a whole, and then by hook and crook connected with Fresh and Lean, who really wanted to lean more into the fact that 
their um, food was what people should be eating and how to connect to, to not customers as much as, you know, not just customers, but also patients, you know, people in healthcare, that kind of thing. Right. Because I think part of the challenge, or a lot of people will say that their challenge is that they want to eat healthier, but it, they find it inaccessible or they don't have time. And so some of these convenience sort of companies that are coming up really do help people get healthier. Um, but before we go more into that, because we'll definitely yeah. want to hear more about that, I would love to just hear what you discovered in this project on eye health, because I think it is very interesting. You said that there is some literature, not all uh, disease processes have literature showing that a particular diet can help. So since this one does, can you just share a little bit about you know, what you learned when you really dove into this? What kind of things should people be eating to support eye health? Yeah, so you're right that this is a it's a very unique um, situation where it's it's really one of the oldest sort of food as medicine examples. Um, there was this study done called the age related eye disease study. It didn't it wasn't just looking at macular degeneration. It wasn't just looking at nutrition, but over the course of a lot of iterations and and, and uh, a lot of solid science, they found that um, certain micronutrients in combination in the form of a pill, actually, originally, did seem to lower the rates of macular degeneration. And so what they then found, and what was more compelling, I think, for us, was that those same micronutrients in whole food form, of course, were perhaps more effective, or at least equally as important. In, in particular, they looked at the Mediterranean diet in one publication um, and found that folks who ate those that style of diet had lower rates of macular degeneration. So it really wasn't a specific food. It was always at, at every step, a, really a combination of, of either antioxidants or, or whole foods with antioxidants in them. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it, it's, it, it, it kind of led the way, but eyes, you know, they never get that much attention. And so I think it's, it's an interesting starting point. For a lot of people, are like, oh, you're an ophthalmologist. What, what in the world are you doing at a <laughs> at a food company? But in actuality, eyes in ophthalmology has one of the original sort of places to start. You know, I think folks are are particularly focused on carrots, and that's, that's <laughs> sort of an old wives' tale. But it's not wrong. It's you know, like, they're great. They're just they're not the only one. In general, it is, you know, vegetables, fruits, whole grains, um, more plants, less meat, but not no meat necessarily. Um, legumes, antioxidants, sort of a, a, a litany of the things that we're commonly hearing today. Uh, and then maybe in particular, leafy greens really stand out as an important component. You know, spinach and kale and all those types of things seem to really be critical for eye health. Is it a specific micronutrient found in those that helps or is it some other component of the plant that seems to be the, the um, main ingredient? Nitrates were a big part of it, but I, I don't re even remember off the top of my head if they ever drilled down with a, with a like controlled randomized clinical trial to show that, or if it really was just show that the benefit was shown and, and you, they hypothesized why, um, mm -hmm. that, why that might have an effect. I mean, nitrates and blood flow and things like that, uh, seem to be useful, not just potentially in, in macular degeneration, but also glaucoma. Um, but again, it, it starts to get theoretical, like, you know, like a lot of things in medicine, we see that it works and we kind of don't argue with it. And then someone comes back later and tries to figure out why, but we don't, 
don't always necessarily have to know. It can be just an empirical study where we gave a bunch of folks spinach and their muscles got bigger and we say, hey, <laughs> Popeye was right and we don't really know why, but just eat spinach. So, Yeah, that makes me kind of curious uh, because, as you know, part of the, I think, part of the confound in some of the Mediterranean diet studies is there's a huge component of overall lifestyle in addition to what people are just eating in the Mediterranean yeah. areas. And I just, did you run across anything like that where they talked at all about, um, you know, like the community aspect or some of these other more or more relaxed lifestyle that could be also contributing to some of the reasons that they don't have a lot of diseases, not just macular degeneration, but, um, you know, they found with the Mediterranean diet, there's a, a lack of other things like heart disease and, and some other That's processes. Right. Yeah. It, and, it, I, I don't think it's, it's that well, um, studied, but I don't, I, I think it's inarguably an important part. It's at least, it's certainly a nice part. It's not something anyone would argue with this idea of change, you know, making food pleasurable, um, eating in a different way, you know, like there's this French effect where, uh, and I, they don't eat a Mediterranean style diet. It's very traditionally heavy. Um, and a lot of the exact wrong things like butter and sugar, but they also have us, they beat the Western diet pretty handily. And so why? And I think you're probably looking at the, this effect of, of a different culture around food. Um, mm -hmm. You know, not like feeding, but like dying, <laughs> you know, yes. it's, it's nicer. <laughs> and a glass of wine, but not 10. And having it with other people at the table. And maybe it's as simple as when you eat as a community, you just eat differently. You may eat less. You know, mm -hmm. portion control may be better because you're, it's not just, it's not just like shoveling food time. It's time to chat. But again, this is speculative. I, I don't know, but I'd encourage people to, to sort of wrap that up in, in their approach. You, it, it can make the whole process a lot nicer um, as you change your diet and lifestyle to make it, you know, to add these other nice things, you know an alfresco dining experience with your family and a nice red mm -hmm. glass of red wine, it, it, you know, it, it, it changes the outlook on it versus say a juice cleanse that you do like in a locked padded room in your basement. Like <laughs> this is a bad, it's, that's not the way you'll have negative associations at, at best. Yeah. The French dining sounds much better to me. That's and right. I will say yeah. just based on personal experience of having, I've uh, been fortunate enough to travel in Europe quite a bit. The lifestyle, I mean, you just do feel a different pace of life mm -hmm. when you're there. And, and the dining is a big part of it. It's not rushed. It's communal, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. And I think that people would do well to, like you said, just try to incorporate some of those things, especially when you're doing something difficult, like changing your diet to a more whole foods-based diet. Mm -hmm. um, making it more pleasant in some way makes it a lot easier, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, this is a, this is a fight against a neurobiologic process. Like it's essentially food addiction. We have to find ways to help ourselves feel at a, at a, at a, you know, chemical level better about what we're doing. We have to develop better associations. Yeah. Everyone's going to have a different process, how they can kind of separate themselves from the Western diet, but it's not easy. Like it's so wrapped up in, in what we enjoy and how we think about our day and all that stuff that yes, this, this idea of like adding a, adding some sort of adding some flavor to the process, not just the, mm -hmm. in the food, but, um, et cetera, is I think a great way to change, change your, um, 
to make it positive, a positive experience. Yep. If you've been around my content for a while, you know that one of my favorite things is making and eating gourmet food and pairing it with wine. You might think you can't enjoy wine, though, while trying to lose weight or stay in ketosis. And if you're drinking traditional wine, you might be right. So many wines are mass-produced and full of sugar and other garbage additives that can wreak havoc on your health goals and just make you feel bad. Fortunately, I discovered Dry Farm Wines. I've been drinking their wine for years now, and I love this company. They individually test small batch wines produced by vintners that are committed to the practice of dry farm production. Some of my favorites have been the Blaufrancish variety from Austria and all of the wines from the Loire Valley in France. Dry farm wines are free from excess sulfites and mold that can cause adverse reactions and hangovers. With no added sugar, each wine is tested to be under one gram of sugar in the entire bottle. Yep, you just heard that right. There's less than one carb in the whole bottle of wine. They're also slightly lower alcohol, which means you can enjoy a delicious wine pairing at dinner any given night and not end up with a hangover. You can receive an extra bottle for just a penny with your first order by visiting dryfarmwines.com slash heal nourish grow. I'd love to hear what your favorite wine is after you try it and be sure to tag me on social with pictures of your wine and delicious dinners. Again, that bottle of wine for a penny is at dryfarmwines.com slash heal nourish grow. So when you, you mentioned, and this is not unusual because you hear many doctors in the space talk about this, is that when you're in medical school, you really get virtually no nutrition training. Um, so then when you started to go into this project about the macular degeneration, and then after that becoming, you know, associated with a company that's based all around food, what sort of things did you start doing to kind of get your, I'm sure you were probably thinking like, okay, I only had like two hours in medical school. I don't feel very yeah. up to speed. So I would imagine that you were taking on some things uh, to try to learn more about what is the latest in nutrition. If you could share with people, maybe some of the things you found, what kind of literature you found interesting, anything that you found that really surprised you um, that went against conventional wisdom that maybe people would not think of. Yeah. I, my approach was really focused on the literature and it's quite a project to go to start from scratch and just go on this website PubMed where, where they have most publications and say like, okay, let me find it. You're not going to find everything. You're not necessarily going to be able to prioritize what's most important. So it's a combination of, of looking just sort of generally searching, you know, macular generation diet, whatever, seeing what pops up seeing what papers tend to get referenced. And then more, more importantly, looking somewhat in, in media and, and looking at sources like um, newsletters and things like that, that where, what things they highlight. And I think what I wanted to do, which was to understand where there's good science, you really can't rush it. Like I didn't need that for the eye stuff. I knew the studies already. As I expanded beyond it, you know, it just took time. Um, there, and there was no substitute for that. Like, I'm now, I think, familiar with what would be considered the key studies. But every once in a while, I'm talking to someone and they'll mention a key study. And I'm thinking, like, I've never heard of that. I mean, it's not telling me something I don't know, but like, it's certainly good to hear <laughs> about it. And and uh, so, I mean, if, if you're, you know, it depends on if, if you're concerned with, say, as a listener, how can I learn more? Um, I, I think you just have to find good, trusted sources, people who do care about what science says is true 
and follow them. I think that's, and there are, you know, I think there, there are sources out there to follow and, and, uh, you know, I think that's the best way, like doing the literature search yourself. If you're not doing it for a professional capacity is really quite like, it's a full-time job more or less. And then you ask, I could agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we both know. So, so one thing that really surprised me coming in, I, I think was the mental health, um, studies on mental health with food. I just, I never would have thought of it. I think, I think it's obvious to anyone that, food affects our heart, it affects our weight, you know, things like that are just ingrained in us. We know it, but the effect of food on mood is not just, uh, it's not, it's not like it's just sort of indistinct, you know, oh, you feel a little bit better when you eat well. It's like taking Prozac, you know, it, it's yeah. specifically a study I'm thinking of that did a randomized control trial and looked at what happened when people who did or didn't eat whole unprocessed foods and they had a remarkable improvement in their symptoms um beyond you know statistical significance or well into that range and that particular study i remember being like wow that's, i'm really surprised that in a short amount of time food can have that dramatic of an effect on on um depression in this case or mental health like i think it's just a really neat thing to bring up and to know um it speaks to the multifaceted like benefits of eating healthily. Yeah. I'm so glad that you brought that up because my background is actually in psychology. And <laughs> when I was in school for that, I remember at the time it was like exercise beat Prozac every dime, like yeah. every time move, move your body, get out in nature, beat whatever drug that they had for depression. And so I've always known that there's this, you know, great connection with that. And then just in my personal experience with how I eat and how my cognition is and how I feel, I think, um, you probably are familiar than Dr. Chris, um, blanking on his last name, but I will put his link in the show notes for everyone because he's doing a lot of work on this lately. And he just had a new book come out that is really in relation to what you just mentioned. So if people are struggling with depression or are not doing well on their meds, which is a lot of people, um, you might want to check out this book and then bring it to your doctor so you guys can like check out a new plan together. Yeah. Um, and anything would, else you can think of? Well, I just I would, I would add to what we just said. I'm always careful to point out, I don't, you know, I don't recommend food necessarily as a replacement. I do think it can be on par with the medicine. I think people are anxious to find non-pharmacologic interventions and it, that can be a dangerous path. Like don't jump mm -hmm. off an, an SSRI. And yeah. Never go off. With, yeah. It, it, it's, it, it's potent. It should not be ignored. It's, it's adjuvant or perhaps an equivalent therapy. Um, but not, you know, I, I think Western medicine is also full of really important things and, and I don't dismiss that, but yeah, uh, um, it, it, you know, as, as we said, it's, it's something, I mean, it does work. So sorry, you, what did you ask me before I launched into that? Oh no, just, and I'm glad that you clarified that because that is important. I, I mean, we're not talking about j jump off your medication and just start eating better. You always want to work with your doctor on these sorts yeah, of things, yeah. but a lot of people do have a lot of side effects or, or find that SSRIs are ineffective for them. So knowing yeah. that there is another option is a really a nice thing to think about, but just, was there any other things in the literature that you ran across that were kind of surprising or is that the one that really stuck out to you? Um, I mean, sticking to sort of, you know, neuro brain, that kind of stuff. I think the effect on um, cognition was really impressive. I, I forget the numbers from the mind study, but it, it was, it was, first of all, they were looking at Alzheimer's particularly. It was a really dramatic mm -hmm. decrease in the incidence of Alzheimer's. I think, somewhere around half, like, you know, 50% fewer. And if you've ever known anyone with Alzheimer's, 
that in its of itself should mean that everyone's mm -hmm. you know every every foundation is running to fund these studies because Alzheimer's is so horrific and it, and a fifty percent decrease exceeds anything else we have in terms of treatment. Um, but they also looked at cognition and folks with no dementia, no cognitive problems, just simply the normal cognitive decline that unfortunately we do experience as we age was lessened dramatically when folks ate a healthier diet. It was like one seventh or something. I, I'm sorry, it's the numbers are escaping me, but you know, it, it's not always the, like the most, the easiest thing to frame. Cause you're not telling someone they'll get smarter. You're telling them they'll, they'll lose their, they'll lose their marbles a little slower, but like it, <laughs> it's a big difference. And in, in effect, it is making you smarter because after, after 10 years, you know, you're going to still, still be sharp as a tack. Whereas normally you would have had increasing difficulty with short-term memory with processing speed. You don't lose that. And like, that's really impressive. And again, just from, just from food, like this, these were the mind trials, which is a Mediterranean diet combined with dash, essentially low salt. Um, you know, they were, they were good trials. They were, they were interventional, they were clinical. So on people, not mice. And so that it's a real result and like, man, eat this way. Who wants to, who wants to, who, who wants to walk into a room because they're 70 and be like, oh my God, why am I in this room? I have no recollection, which according to my parents is inevitable, but I'd like to put it off. Yes. And I think yeah. we should all at least try. And if you can do it with just eating whole foods, why not give it a shot? <laughs> yeah. It's not, again, you said it, that medicines often have side effects can be unpleasant. You know, they're important, but this is not, this is not a pill. It's, it's, it's food. It's not bad food. It, it's food. You have to maybe have a little taste bud rehab to get used to, but whole foods, fruits, vegetables, fish, things like that, you know, whole grains, if you're into it or, 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 yeah, or not. Um, it's not the worst thing in the world to have to do. Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. We'd also love it if you could post a review on iTunes. It helps us so much by allowing others to more easily find us. The Heal, Nourish, Grow podcast wouldn't be possible without listeners like you. Thank you so much for your support. Now back to the show. Yeah, and I, I like that you mentioned the sort of retraining your taste buds part because I think what happens with people is we have all these really hyper palatable foods. Yep. Uh, if it's in a box, it's been designed by scientists to hit all the bliss points, hit all the things that make your dopamine go crazy. And it's hard to go from those kinds of packaged engineered foods to just eating whole foods again. So in any of your experience, when you've, uh, you know, kind of talked with people about this or had experience with people that are, that are making this change in their life, do you have any practical tips or tricks for people that are just, you know, going from a standard American diet, maybe highly processed and, and these engineered foods to moving to that whole foods model? What would be the best way to get started with that? Yeah. So I, my general philosophy is to consider it a long-term process and don't, don't concern yourself with fixing everything all at once. Um, there's a lot of approach. There's a lot of ways to skin the cat, but find baby steps to take. Um, the example I gave in one lecture was, you know, it was to doctors. It was like, if, if you have a patient who eats McDonald's every single night and then you convince them to switch to like spaghetti with meatballs, beef, refined carbs, et cetera, 
but but they make that switch, they have made a positive step. And, you know, this is better just to doctors, but it's like, help them see that this is something to be proud of. Help them capture where this makes them feel better, that they don't feel sick every morning. And then take the next step, because obviously spaghetti with meatballs every night isn't good either. But every, you know, but it is a positive step. I mean, if you look at it as, from a population perspective, if everyone could take one baby step, our healthcare costs would go down by, you know, what, like a billion dollars or whatever. Um, so for your listeners, I think it's, it's, it's the same thing. Forgive yourself, like be, don't allow yourself to think you have to do everything all at once because that perfection is going to often lead to failure. And, and eventually once the honeymoon wears off and failure can be very absolute with, with dietary interventions. When people fail, they tend to be like, I'm out, I've failed, I'm going to McDonald's. And poor McDonald's, I just hammer them for all this stuff. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're doing they, fine. They kind of anyway. deserve it though. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, you, you, I, I think it could resonate with everyone that when I say when, when you fall off the wagon, it tends to be like all the way. Don't, don't put that pressure on yourself. Like with the holidays coming, eat what, you know, enjoy your food and enjoy the time with your family, find ways to take small steps in the right direction, but don't make yourself insane and try to find a way to, to, to gradually start to take steps in the right direction, which a few years from now will have absolutely added up and you'll be a happy, healthy sort of, you'll like these foods. And then you have something that you can sustain for a lifetime. Yeah, I love that. And that's always my advice too, starting slow and yeah. taking some steps. And you mentioned the holidays. I, I did have a recent episode about how really during the holidays, I tell people don't really focus on trying to keep losing weight, but just focus on not gaining any more weight during the holidays because you st still should enjoy your family and special meals, um, but just not every day so that you don't do that thing where you said you go completely off yeah. and then you're kind of back at square one. Like don't, think, don't mess it out of your progress. Uh, a really uh, like this is, this is not, this is more a personal philosophy, but I, I think people go next Thursday, absolutely crazy, which I'm going to do, you know, it's, it's okay. And then they, and then they feel like, well, I've already gained five pounds. What does it matter? And I think like, understand that, you can make as like, it takes like 3000 excess calories to gain a pound. You're not doing that in your Thanksgiving meal. So though it's, it's certainly a big step in the wrong direction. It, it's not irreversible. So don't feel like the next day you're already too far gone. You know, you can be fine. Um, eat a healthy lunch, have leftovers Friday night with your family and that's fine. But like, yeah, as you said, kind of pull yourself back from the brink take the opportunities where you can to find some balance like every day, you know, it's, it, as everyone knows, if you, if you really go over the edge, it's not pleasurable, right? Like you just, mm -hmm. you end up like, like I'm eating bad food again. I don't feel good. And like, keep it to a, an occasion and, and, and you'll be fine. It's only, a, you know, it's a month. you certainly are not obligated to gain weight. Like I think people almost feel like it's inevitable and it's not. No. No, I think, I think you can still enjoy your life, find balance, go for a walk after dinner, you know, keep doing all the healthy things. Yeah. Um, but since I just mentioned the walk after dinner, we haven't hit on one of your topics yet, which is uh, metabolic health and, and using food to kind of help people manage their blood sugar. And going for a walk after dinner is an amazing way <laughs> to impact your blood sugar. So that's the tie in there. Um, like but maybe, segue. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you could talk a little bit about uh, how you've moved on with, you know, becoming the uh, medical officer for this food company. You're really focused on 
you know, helping people with metabolic health, a lot of that is in relation to sugar and diabetes. So maybe you could talk about that a little bit and um, what you've been finding out in, in that realm as you've kind of dug into this food world. You know how I like to talk about being just 1% better every day? Well, ButcherBox believes in better. For them, better means caring about animals and the planet, treating the planet with respect, and it means improving the lives of animals and the livelihoods of farmers. Their beef is grass-fed and grass-finished, chicken is free-range and organic, turkey is free-range, pork is humanely raised, and salmon and scallops are wild-caught. I've been using ButcherBox for a couple of years now, and it was a godsend having such high-quality meat delivered to my door during the pandemic. If you're interested in saving money and eating healthier, this is the perfect service for you. Even if you can get back to the grocery store now, the quality and health of ButcherBox meat is far superior to what's in the market. Plus, if you're a bacon lover, I have really good news. You can always get a great deal on your subscription by using my link, but starting June 12th until October 14th, new members can get free bacon for life. That's right. Every box will include a pack of uncured, unbelievably delicious bacon added to every box for the life of your membership. Check my show notes for the link or go to bit.ly, that's B-I-T dot L-Y slash H-N-G butcher box. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's no, there's no one diet for uh, diabetes. It, it, it's, there are, there are a couple different really good ways for people to control their blood sugar. I mean, and, and in general, they all tend to boil down to these same things that are going to be the recommendations you end up getting for everything from, from Alzheimer's to depression, whatever, which is avoiding processed foods. And that's probably of greater importance in, um, when it comes to blood sugar, avoiding high calorie density foods, um, like fried foods, which are going to make you fatter and fat, you know, is, 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 is a real step in the wrong, you know, obesity is, is going to lead to, to these same metabolic health issues, including high blood sugar and, and insulin resistance. Um, uh, and yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's, it, it's kind of, it always ends up being these same foods and, and this, and it's true for diabetes too. I actually naively, as I embarked on this thought, there would be a very, very specific recommendation from the ADA. Um, and really it's not, I mean, they, they're kind of like, there's not a one size fits all, but you know, if it's, if it's a carb, it cannot be refined, obviously avoid sugar, but we, we should be doing that for the sake of our whole body, um, or limit sugar and, and then avoiding processed and fried foods. So, you know, our, our, our meals fit that, of course, we're not, we do zone, we do zero in on diabetes for some of our partnerships. Like, um, we're working with MedStar Health, which is a big healthcare system on the East coast, um, specifically with diabetics, but our, the food that we're using there is really the same we're using elsewhere. Like in, we are, you know, working with depression and, and menopausal health and, um, it, it ends up being essentially the same stuff. So it's, I often feel like when I come you know, to my operations team and explain like the menu idea, I feel like they, they're starting to get skeptical because I, I, they're, they're sort of like, you know, you give us the same answer every time. It can't possibly, you're, you're talking about very different diseases with the same treatment. Um, and the answer I give, I think, you know, I borrow this from Dean Ornish. I, I saw a talk he gave, which is, it's not, it's not one treatment for many different diseases. It's, it's really one treatment for one disease and that that disease is probably chronic inflammation mm -hmm. and 
that seems to underlie just about every chronic disease process. And so the foods that reduce chronic inflammation, either actively through antioxidants or, or passively by keeping you off of refined sugars and, and processed foods, those seem to be the cure-all for everything, in, including blood sugar. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's sort of, it seems too good to be true, but it, 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 the science really supports that idea. And, and everyone's approach may be different. They, people may prefer other ways. You know, I, I know like keto is a very popular and excellent option for this, but as is the Mediterranean diet, which is not keto and has carbs in it, both seem to work. And we don't, you know, studies don't suggest one is better. They suggest they both work. So whatever works for you, like, I'm happy for it. Yeah, couldn't yeah. agree more. And that's, you know, the thing I've always gone about, and people know that I lean keto is just what I've personally done the past, mm. but I always just say, just eat whole foods. That's really yeah. The, yeah. The, the take home message, whether you do keto, whether you do vegan, whether you do vegetarian, whatever it is you have, mm-hmm. just eat whole foods as much as possible. And like you said, if you're making that transition from standard American diet to whole foods, you might need to take it a little slow and just kind of retrain your taste buds. I like to like to that phrase that you use. Um, so you hit on fresh and lean a little bit. Now that we're getting towards the end here, can you just share a little bit more about what the company offers and how that sort of works? Of course, there'll be a link in the show notes if people want to try it out, but is it, um, I know you just said it's kind of ends up being all the same, but are you targeting certain um, diets? Are you targeting yeah. certain disease processes? How does that work? So I, sh- I, there, I shouldn't undersell our variety because what we try to do is target people's individual needs while maintaining foundational first principles that do hit on this, this sort of this thing that's always in common, which is unprocessed whole foods, lots of vegetables. Um, you know, it, 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 it's, it's, it's true of all of our meal plans, but our meal plans do become very specific because people have found their own way. I mean, I, I, I like to use keto as, versus Mediterranean diet as an example because they're both pretty effective. And um, and some people are feel very strongly about keto. And like, I would, I'm, I think that you found that it works for you. And, and there's probably a reason for it. it Maybe biologic that, um, you know, maybe appetite suppression from circulating ketone bodies is particularly effective for you, but whatever it is, like if you're doing it and you're eating whole foods, that's great. And we want to be able to provide that, including whole 30, vegan, um, higher protein, but each one is still that same fundamental principle and and Mediterranean diet, of course, which is, you know, plant predominant whole foods, um, and no processed ingredients whatsoever, including that ours isn't frozen. It's, it's fresh made, it's shipped refrigerated. That's of questionable significance in terms of nutrition. It may be, but, um, it means that, you know, the food is really good. Mm -hmm. Um, and our goal, I mean, my goal in joining on was to be able to have a platform where I could aim this very tight kind of effective solution for folks that need it, that need to eat better and, and don't necessarily have the time or expertise to prepare it for themselves. It's just, here you go. Like, this is what you should be eating. Whichever meal plan you pick, I, I promise that they're pretty well vetted um, and and will provide you a big step in the right direction. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Because like I said, I, I think one of the things that I hear the most is that I don't have time to cook, which I always just kind of joke with people because I'm like, really? You can't like scramble some eggs on the, yeah. <laughs> on the cooktop? It takes like less than five minutes. But hey, besides the point, it is nice to have 
these options when you are very busy or you're running around kids after work and you just have all these other obligations, you don't have to think about it. Or if you just get so tired and you're frustrated and you just want to order takeout because you didn't prepare, if you have this in the refrigerator, then you're far more ahead of the game. And as you said, you're formulating them for, you know, kind of whatever style you choose to eat, but it's the healthier version because you've got these um, foundational components in place. And obviously they're bringing on doctors to kind of ensure that process. So that's, um, a nice feature of the company as well. Yeah. I say, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm the only ophthalmologist in the ready to eat. <laughs> so <laughs> take advantage. Yeah. It's, it's, a it, it's just not everyone needs it and that's great, but a lot of people need it. Like a lot of people need much like the pharmaceutical company makes pills. Like they need someone to make the medicine to have it handed to them myself included like i don't i use them for i really rely on them for lunch but the meals and it's a really good solution like i as much as i know and as, as much as i should know better if i didn't have them sometimes lunch would be less than ideal because i don't have stuff in the house or i don't feel like making it all the time um and like these are perfect they just heat and eat they're genuinely good it's good for you like um I, I just think it's a really important component as a whole as we take food as medicine more seriously in our society and, and in our healthcare system like some people need this and and i was so excited for the opportunity to come to fresh and lean and hone what was already a pretty pretty refined version of what we not i mean refined is the worst word for it but <laughs> a, a, you know a, a, an accurate version of what people should be eating and sort of just like help broadcast that that this is it like just try this <laughs> yeah. yeah and and yeah. like serves a wonderful purpose as you said so where can people find you online if they want to connect with you personally or or look at your work or just know more about you can you share any links or social media things mm-hmm. and of course this will be in the show notes and then um obviously the name of the company we've said fresh and lean i think it's just freshandlean.com but can you confirm that part too yeah so um freshandlean.com you'll find you know the a carefully tailored experience to get you to, to to the meal plan you would most like um for me personally I am happy to have folks reach out. I'm very active on LinkedIn and Twitter. Um, either one, you know, I, I will respond quickly if, if you want. I also post a lot and, and share a lot of articles and thoughts on there. So feel free to please follow. And, and, and you know, if anyone has any questions, like I'm just a, you know, regular person, I really am happy to converse on this. And uh, so don't hesitate to reach out there. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. And I'll make sure everybody can do that easily with the links in the show notes. But um, Dr. Goodman, I just want to really thank you for taking the time today to share with our audience and to give some of this uh, practical tips on changing your diet, as well as if you need help in that direction, then um, using these sort of uh, food packages that aren't processed food is a really um, convenient and nice way to do that. So uh, thanks again for coming. And I appreciate having you on the show. Carol, it's my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. This has been the Heal, Nourish, Grow podcast. 
Again, I'm Cheryl McColgan, founder of Heal, Nourish, Grow. You can find show notes for this episode at HealNourishGrowPodcast.com. If you have feedback on today's episode or questions about the content, please email us at podcast at HealNourishGrow.com. We'd love to hear from you. Be sure to sign up for our email list at HealNourishGrow.com and subscribe to the show with your favorite podcast player so you never miss an episode. Join us next time for more information that helps you live your best and healthiest life. Thanks for listening. Content on the Heal, Nourish, Grow podcast does not constitute medical advice. Content contained in the Heal, Nourish, Grow podcast is not intended as medical diagnosis or treatment. Neither the company nor its owner, Heal, Nourish, Grow, LLC, nor any of the company's employees, agents, or guest speakers provide medical advice. The content provided on Heal, Nourish, Grow podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Please consult your medical provider with any questions about what health practices are right for you.